Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Tim, this is going to be a fun one today. I met Thomas through my friend Kyle Golden. Do you know Kyle Golden? I don't know Kyle Golden. Well, Thomas is just going to get right into it and tell us a story about Kyle Golden playing in gym class in sixth grade. Wait a minute. I just want to... This is our first, this is our first lawyer or our second lawyer? This is our second lawyer second. on the show. Yeah, second. Yeah, okay. So we got to be All careful. Right, Kyle Golden story about gym class, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I did. Okay, well, here's the Kyle Golden story. So when we were like, you know, seventh and eighth grade, 12 and 13, you know, Kyle was 40 pounds bigger than everybody else. <laughs> he was basically a man. And uh, he played baseball since he was a very little kid. And he could throw the dodgeball like Nolan Ryan. So every time there was dodgeball in junior high, you had to frantically uh, make sure you got on Kyle's side of the, uh, of the, the line there in the gym because he would pummel people <laughs> so hard with those. And we had those the red balls. Red balls. Were, those red balls. Cantaloupe, cantaloupe sized balls that were very bouncy and very painful. And, and he would just face, unload. Man. Unload these dodgeballs on people, and it, like people would be weeping openly. It was it was brutal. So uh, <laughs> that, that's the Kyle Golden story about pummeling people with uh, with dodgeballs in seventh grade. It is oh. funny. Seventh grade is the year where half the class has already grown into kind of adulthood, and the other half still look like tiny people. I guess <laughs> seventh and eighth grade. So I, I could see how you know that you're the same age, but they're very different people. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I just think back to little league, a lot of the dudes who were like the best players then didn't end up being the best players later on in high school. It's just, that they were bigger and peaked like super young. <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's, that's funny about Kyle. Cause he's like a normal sized, like good regular guy now, but uh, Thomas Feeney, Feeney, right? That's Feeney. Correct. You got it. That's right. And uh why don't you tell us a little bit of your background? I mean, I'm personally keen on the fact that you're calling from Stowe, Massachusetts right now. Um, yeah. I move into Houston soon, but, but why don't you give the audience a little bit of your background and um, you know, what you've done in your, in your life and career? Yeah. Yeah. So background, uh, I grew up in North Dallas. I went actually went to uh, grade school and high school with Kyle Golden. I went to Jesuit high school there. I went to college at Colorado State where I got an electrical engineering degree. And then I went to law school at Texas Tech, uh, graduated there uh, in 2006. I spent two years in Amarillo, Texas, working for a firm called uh, Underwood. That was a great firm. My, uh, my first boss there was um, in close to his 80s, a guy named Don Dean, former judge. And he was an old school lawyer. And um, he was one of my favorite guys I ever worked for. Nice. Because when you're a young lawyer, uh, you know, you, you produce memos and, and you do research and you kind of turn that work product into the more senior people. And he was old school. So anytime you per turned in any work product, like within seconds, he, he called you down to his office and he would sit there and he would read your work product line by line with a red pen and just eviscerate it and ask you questions the whole time. Such that after you turned in two or three of those and they came back, you know, blood red, you became a little more careful about the work product you submitted. So uh, he's <laughs> oh, a great, yeah. great, great guy to work for. Yeah, it's and a I really, really for sure. 
yeah, yeah, it was it was very helpful input. Then I uh, moved to Houston in 2008. Uh, from 2008 to now, I've I've uh, you know mostly almost exclusively service clients in the oil and gas sector. So uh, my focus is probably 70% um, title opinion work. So that's drilling and division order title opinions for oil companies that are you know drilling wells. Uh, 20% due diligence. Um, so that's when you're buying and selling properties and, and verifying the title. And then 10%, which is kind of my, my day-to-day, what keeps me busy in terms of uh, what I'm doing all the time uh, is uh, like small transactional stuff that comes up all the time. So buying and selling Smaller properties, assignments, farm outs, farm ins, JOAs, that that type of do- documents, lease negotiations that pop up if you're servicing oil and gas clients on a regular basis. So been doing that the whole time. Uh, in 2014, I moved uh, up here where I am today, still Massachusetts, and I've worked remotely for seven years. So when everybody, you know, when COVID started and the pandemic started and everybody started working from home, I was really cracking up about all the news stories because like, it's like been my life story for a long time. So, <laughs> so I've, I've definitely got the work from home situation figured out. Uh, but yeah, so I moved to, up here in 2014 and actually my, my legal career really flourished at that time uh, because for a multitude of reasons. The first reason was I was an hour ahead of time. Okay. So pretty much all of my clients are in-house landmen, in-house landmen, start their day very early. They get in early, they leave early, you know, because the, you know, mostly it's in Houston, the Houston commute is brutal. So they, a lot of them are like at their desk at 6 a.m. Whereas lots of lawyers start their days late. They're not even at their desk till 9.30 or 10. So when I moved here, I would be on my computer at 7 a.m. It would be 6 a.m. in Houston. And the in-house landmen that are my clients would, they would kind of like ping me. They're like, hey, Feeney, you around? I was like, yeah, I'm here, what's up? And they'd call me. So I started generating work just by being awake, which is like, <laughs> you know, pretty, low, pretty low bar, pretty low bar. So, uh, so yeah, so that worked out great. And then because I was, you know, my work was really seeing clients was Houston, Dallas, Midland, Oklahoma city, Denver. I made it a point because I was so far away to basically travel one week per month, work three weeks per month. And when I was working, I could really, really drill down and focus. And then when I was traveling, I would really do client development and meetings. So because it made me compartmentalize my life so much, I actually did better in both respects. I did better in terms of all the work product that I was generating. And I did better in terms of client development because I, I really had to focus on them and, and make them happen from far away. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. So before we... Before we start bonding, you guys start bonding over Massachusetts and New England type stories here. I want to go back to starting your your professional career in Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo, yeah. Amarillo is a great place. I've always described it, though, as kind of the world's largest truck stop. It's just, a, you know, the freeway goes right through and everyone's anyway. And you've got the normal stuff like Big Texan. But as a young professional starting out, what's it like? in Amarillo, this, you know, the social structure, you know, what, what was that like? Yeah. So, so I I had a pretty good insight into that because the law firm that I worked at had been around for a hundred years. It was founded something like 1901 or something. It it was a hundred year law firm. Their biggest client was Amarillo national bank. Amarillo national bank is PO box one Amarillo, Texas. So they go way back. They're very, very entrenched in that system and that economy. And it has a very spoken for business and social structure. So uh, what that means is, you know, there's people at the top of the food chain, 
And they stay at the top of the food chain for a very long time. Like I told you, my first mentor was almost 80 year old lawyer and they don't, <laughs> things don't turn over that often. So it was a great place to learn and great place to be a young professional. I ended up leaving though, because I came to the realization that like, I'm like so far down the tier <laughs> that I'm not going to be able to generate clients and like move up the, the, you know, the professional machine there for a very long period of time. Whereas you go to a place like Houston, where the economy is so vibrant, everything is new. There's so many immigrants. There's so many people from all over the world that there's so much more opportunity. So, yeah. so that was kind of a, a big, a big reason I moved, but here's an Amarillo story for you. So when you're in Amarillo, it, you know, it can get a little boring sometimes. You try to find ways to entertain yourself. And I was sitting there one day and I saw in the paper, Amarillo police auction. I was like, ah, oh, dude, I got to, I've never been to an auction, much less a police auction. I got to go check this out. So like a few blocks away, I walk over there and uh, they're doing stuff. And then they start auctioning off used police cars. I'm like, hey man, the, wait, the wait, price is right. Wait, what, the price wait, what is right on these used police cars. <laughs> so what year is it? this is the year I'm there is 2006. The year of the vehicles, maybe say a 2001 or two. Oh, that's a good show. Victoria. The, yeah, the so one out the, the old. That's back when cop cars were Crown Vicks. Exactly. So it was the Crown Vicks. So the Crown Vicks are going across the line and they're like 1500 bucks, 2200 bucks, 2800 bucks. I'm like, I got to get one of these. So I, I bid on this Crown Vic and it has like the, you know, the police package and the engine and the light and all that stuff. And I, I get it and they're like, hey, like we can't have people driving around Amarillo that's painted, <laughs> if it's painted black and white. Like that's like, that's not right. So they're like, we'll paint it for you. It's like, okay, paint it all black. So I like wait a week and I pick it up. I pick it up from the city garage and I got this all black crown Vic with that little light there on the side that you can like the spotlight thing. And, uh, and it was a sweet ride, but a couple things about driving a former police car. First of all, everyone thinks you're a cop. So no one speeds. Right. Yeah, so right. it's super slow to get. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and the second thing that happened was I would always go to this, drive through dry cleaner. Okay. And so I wear suits and I go to this drive through dry cleaner. And whenever I like check into a hotel or, or like do something where you're trying to say your, like spell your name out. Right. I would say Thomas Feeney F E I. So like could punch an F E I in the computer and it'd show up. So I would always say this at the dry cleaner. And then one day the woman who worked there, she goes, you know, we just think it's so cool that you work in the FBI. I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, F E. <laughs> no, no. And I was like, oh, I get Keeping it. Keeping an eye on you. Keeping an eye on you. Yeah. This guy's hotshot coming to Amarillo <laughs> with his undercover cop car. <laughs> this is really funny. So another another quick story on Amarillo. So I think Amarillo is only what, like maybe six hours from from here, where I am in Colorado. Based yeah, on it's like the halfway point. point. So the Dallas to Denver trip is most people stay the night in Amarillo. Okay, so that's what, like like six hours each to each? Yeah, city? I think so. Yeah. So Dan Mays posted something, Tim, on Facebook not too long ago that was, uh, I picked up my son from school and he said, Dad, why don't we go to uh, Whataburger? And I told him, well, the nearest Whataburger is in Amarillo, Texas. And he said, well, let's go. So they did. They went. Drove from down, Denver? From Denver. Yep. Wow. After school on a Friday, got it late, came back. Wow. That's impressive. That is an extremely boring drive. Yeah. Yeah. A little family time. Right. Um, so, so talk to us a little bit. I, I love that, that undercover cop story, by the way, Mr. FBI, but, but I do want to jump in a little bit to, uh, 
cycling, because I know you've been a bike racer for a long time. And, and I guess it's sort of two questions. Did, did you move to Massachusetts for biking or did that just sort of happen and talk a little bit about your cycling background yeah. career, whatever, whatever it is. So, so yeah, so right when I moved up here, I had just started, I've been doing it about a year in Houston and I, I had been getting into it and Houston it has a lot of attributes living in central Houston. It's not the cycling mecca of the world by any means, uh, mainly because of the traffic and stoplights, you can't really get anywhere. Uh, so I moved up here and I was, I was really on the edge and I didn't know if I'd like it. And I just happened to move the, the side of town that I was on. It's, it's a little bit like living kind of like in Boulder, like it has access to the West, uh, Mount Wachusett and New Hampshire, and you can like really get out in the country. So there's a, there's a big cycling scene here. There's the club scene, which uh, the town I'm closest to Concord has a group called uh, the Monsters. Concord. And there's a, racing, there's a racing team that I'm on called 545 Velo. It's 545 Velo because that's when we all meet in the mornings uh, yes. to do group rides. Because on the East Coast, on the Northeast side of the East Coast in the summer, the sun rises incredibly early. Like I think the earliest is like around 4.15 or 4.20 a couple days in the morning. So you can do all this awesome stuff before traffic in the morning in the greater Boston area. In the, I mean, you got to wake up super early, but it gives you access to, to a lot of stuff without cars and traffic. So yeah, I moved up here and I just caught the cycling bug. And uh, I, I, I met a lot of people and it, it really became my only social life because I never really generated my clients were all in oil and gas and I was traveling to see them. I never really generated like business relationships and clients up here. And I had, you know, young kids. And so the cycling thing became my social life. And one of the coolest things about it is I really started having friends in a different generation. So hmm. I just turned 40. A lot of the guys that I ride with are 50 to 65 and they're incredibly fit world-class athletes. I mean, they, they, I, I'm in the middle of the pack in terms of the fitness of some of these guys that are 55 years old. Uh, and what I appreciated about it, um, besides all the fun of cycling and racing and, and seeing the countryside, seeing the world is I developed relationships with people, you know, 15 or 20 years older than me. And I got a feel for their perspectives for how they grew up or what life was like when they were kids. And it, it really kind of opened my eyes to different generations because that for what in the oil business, the generation X, the, the 40 to 60 group is small. It's pretty yep. small. That was a rough time to be in the oil business. And a lot of people that did it like in the late eighties, they left a lot of, and then the late nineties, it was almost dead. And so there's kind of this lost generation. So it was an opportunity to get friends and get perspectives of, of that group and that generation uh, that, I, that I hadn't had before. Hmm. Yeah, that's, they call it the great crew change, which, you know, yeah. I'm, what, 51 years old, so I'm squarely in the middle of that. Yes, yes. And, and you're, you're a small group in the oil and gas business, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, – COVID, right? So you, you moved 2014, you're up there, right? Business is humming. You're starting to build a social scene, at least through the biking and, and enjoying, you know, that part of New England, which is a, a beautiful area. And uh, then, then COVID hit. So did that affect, I mean, I'm sure it affected business somehow. What, what changed for yeah. you? What did, what did you do? Yeah. So, so part of the, the life I had been living for a long time was this heavy travel schedule. And, um, you know, I was always flying. I was always flying across the country in and out, you know, jump on the plane, go see people, fly back. And I kind of had this perspective of the world 
based on being a heavy air traveler. Okay. And one of the, one of the sad things about that life is that the world can all look the same. You know, almost every downtown Hilton is the same hotel. Almost every downtown Marriott's breakfast is the same breakfast. Uh, you know, those bars and restaurants that are kind of in those areas, right? They're kind of the same restaurants everywhere. And so even though you're traveling, you're kind of traveling to the same place over and over again. So I, I, that, that's kind of before COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a major hit up here for sure. The cycling group that I, I'm in are most, the guys are mostly in, in pharma uh, and scientists. Um, so they're uh, like pharmaceutical yeah, research. Yeah, and they like January 5th, I got my first email like, hey, this is coming. This is for real. This is going to go down. Be ready for it. And so that was, uh, you know, six or eight weeks before it was really a major story. Wow. And they were correct. It did. It definitely came down the uh, pipe here and it was a severe hit. And, you know, you're kind of influenced by your local community. So it, it was a major impact here. Things went very sideways here. They were very, very hard on the shutdowns, the restrictions, the everything. So I kind of, I had like six, eight months there where we were just shut down up here and, you know, the oil business was suffering. Things were kind of going sideways. So, you know, in the fall of 2020, I had this travel bug. I had this itch and I was like, I got to get out. I can't be stuck here anymore. And I was looking for a way to, you know, I got to see my clients. I got to get back on the road. And so I decided I'd buy a uh, Mercedes Sprinter camper van. So bought this Mercedes Sprinter and I got on the road and I, I did two big trips, uh, kind of Boston, Texas, uh, and back, wow. uh, 10,000 miles on it. And, um, it completely changed my perspective. Uh, and it was a, some, it was the best travel I've ever done. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity that I, I got to do it. The, the first thing I realized as I was driving across the country is that, you know, COVID had hit different places differently and people had different perspectives where they were, right? So in really urban areas, things had gotten really bad and very scary. And so people had that hit that they went through and and they had that perspectives. And then in very rural areas, it may have never come, right? And, And so they had that perspective. And it actually gave me a lot of compassion for human beings because everyone who was going through it, who's still going through it, is experiencing it differently based on their environment and what's happened to them and the people they know, right? So let's say you are somebody whose parents passed away from it. That's a terrible, like you couldn't be a worse possible outcome, right? So there's people that have no people that have died. There's other people that know zero people that have got it, zero people that have died, and yet the world completely shut down and changed. Yeah. And they're looking out at the world saying, I used to have this life, where'd it go? And they're very, and that's, difficult and upsetting. And what I noticed as I drove across the country, no matter what place I was in, very urban, very rural, people suffering and having a hard time of it. And I just like really felt for everyone. It just was a, it was eye-opening. And instead of just opening my phone and reading the news and, you know, here's this take on it, here's that take on it, just seeing people and seeing what they're going through was, it was a good experience. Now, and you talked about flying you know, basically all the places and then taking the drive. But one of the things I, I think I said it on our podcast in the, in before, but my family and I, we kind of went on a 50 States quest. Yeah. I mean, we finished about five years ago, but it involved a lot of, Hey, just taking off and driving. And we made it, we just had to make a point, Hey, we're going to 
jump off here and go get some fried pies in some place in Oklahoma, or we're just, you know, just basically just stop, you know, it was the distractions along the side of the road that kind of made it cool. So we saw so many really cool things that we just never would have seen had you flown to, to the, to uh, Mount Rushmore instead of driven straight up North. Sure. Um, so anyway, I'm wondering your perspective on seeing the, the things that are kind of off the highway as opposed to just, uh, you know, showing up three hours after you leave Boston to uh, in the Houston or something. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that really stuck with me a lot. Uh, going, I was mostly going uh, like off I-84, I believe it is like on the Eastern side of uh, the Appalachian mountains and uh, never been through that part of the country before. I really beautiful, very no, historic very, very nice, rolling hills. Nice. It, it was unbelievable. And at that time I was able to, cause I had this camper van. I was, I was staying at a lot of state parks and really that it was, it was December of 2020. So it was cold. People weren't really doing that anymore. So a lot of, like, I remember I checked in one night to a place called Big Ridge State Park outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. I, I like called ahead and paid the fee and I was allowed to be there. And I pulled in there around nine o'clock at night and I was the only person in that entire state park. Wow. I, I posted up, I parked right on the lake. I, I put the, all the stuff out, you know, like I had dinner there and I had this entire state park completely to myself. And I thought, this is once in a lifetime. Never again would I be able to do this. So what it was, it was a very strange time for the world, <laughs> but also like, hey, take advantage of it and try to get an experience that you can't get another way. So yeah, I dig that. I dig that. Something else that I dig, and Tim, you do too, is Thomas prepped us this podcast. Wrote up great notes, great show notes. So usually what happens is we send a little questionnaire, just prime up, hey, be prepared for questions like this. Uh, Well, we were a little bit late in getting it to Thomas, and and, uh, well, he prepped us. So. So he's got he's got some questions for us as well, Thomas. You want me to read them out, or or what do you what do you think? Okay, I'll give you. I'll, this is how a good way to. I'll do the questions. This is a good way to kind of get a feel for people, who they are, what they're like, what their style is. Okay, so if you're on a desert island, you can only have four drinks for the rest of your life, like four varieties of drink, right? Like individual thing. What are those four drinks? Okay, and I'll tell you mine. Number one, water, obviously. Don't feel like dying. Number two, coffee. Mm. Uh, I'm a huge coffee guy. This is a side story, but I used to work somewhere where everyone used that stupid K-cup machine, right, for their coffee. And it was like a fishbowl. There was like algae growing in it, and it was disgusting. Mm. And I would always be like, hey, why don't we go get a good coffee? And they're like, what's a good coffee? I'm like, what are you <laughs> it's like a $3 coffee, like a badass coffee from somewhere. So when I drink hot coffee, I appreciate it like the same way that like, you know, when you're driving and I don't smoke cigarettes, but you know, when you're driving and you see someone who smokes cigarettes and they're like truly enjoying it, they're like on the side of the building. Great, greatest moment of their life. You're like, oh, that must be nice. <laughs> that is what having a coffee is like to me. I have that same level of enjoyment. Wow. Okay. Then I got two left, right? Yeah. And so you got to decide. You got to decide. Do I want something like, do I want orange juice? Because I'm going to have orange juice every morning. Or do I got to pick two types of booze? So right. I vacillate. But to be totally honest, I think I'm going to go 
a light beer that you can kind of have forever, right? And then I got my last one would have to be whiskey. So if I got water, coffee, light beer, whiskey, that's a universe. I could live forever off that in terms of liquids to consume. Sounds like what Jack Kerouac would pick or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. I, I like that. Tim, do you, you want to go? Oh, I, I'm going to jump in first because I'm going to let people on a secret. Those people who know me, you know, around me all the time. I've never had a sip of coffee in my life. Oh my gosh. Right. So to me, I have no comprehension. And, you know, I like to blame my parents because they drank coffee all day, all, you know, as bitter as possible. And I just never liked the smell. So I can't even get into it. The smell, you know, who doesn't like the smell of coffee? It's like one of the greatest smells. It smells better than it tastes. And it's crazy. (laughs) And, you know, and I know it's a bitter drink and I like bitter beer, but I, I just can't get into, you know, coffee. So for me, just, you know, I know why you're asking the question and there you go. That's what you're looking for. But to me, it's water, diet Coke or something like that. that. That's that's how I get my caffeine. And then it's got to be a a copper beer of some sort, copper colored beer of some sort. And then, uh, well, that's probably going to be the end of it. I don't, I don't need four. I need three. Oh, wow. So you only get three. You get, then I'll take your fifth. Four, I make my mine five. You get there three. You I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Water obviously is, is the gimme here. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a huge caffeine guy. I think if I'm there for the rest of my life, it probably moves up to maybe fourth as opposed to not cracking the list, but it would definitely be um, water Gatorade. Uh some type of hazy IPA. And then for the fourth, I'm thinking it's either, it's tricky. It's either another booze or coffee. Yeah. You may, what about red wine? Because red wine goes great with food. Steaks. That's a good point. That's a good point. But wait a minute, we're on a desert island. I didn't, I wasn't going for fine dining. It's a really nice (laughs) desert island. You're getting steaks. You're getting, you're getting lobsters. This is great. Yeah. I, I mean, I like red wine. And, you know, it's not a problem, but I, I've been gravitating towards the kind of the sweeter side on the wine stuff lately. So I'd probably go something, a dessert wine or something like that would be, would go down real well. Deli- delivered by a sommelier every, every time that he decides to have it on his deserted island. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good, good one. That's a good ice breaking question. I kind of like that. Yeah. You get, you get, you does, know, does anybody people- not choose water? I've never, I've never heard that one. No, there are weird people like that. That kind of like, just I don't like water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, 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 they exist for sure. That's funny. Wow. Have you been on any podcast before? This is my first podcast. This is my oh, first one. I'm a big, big podcast fan. I, you know, uh, starting a long time ago, I got into the, uh, at first it was only, there weren't that many. So around 2011 or so I started listening to Joe Rogan and, Nice. That kind of whole scene back when he was like really low on the totem pole and was always talking about aliens and stuff. It was like half aliens. Uh, <laughs> like uh, this is like brainless, but quite entertaining. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been a big fan of it, but never been on one before. So, you know, no pressure. You know, it's <laughs> funny that Joe Rogan is, has kind of defined the space yeah. when, when, when I told people that either I have a podcast or I was starting a podcast with Jeremy, there was always like, what are you going to be like Joe Rogan? Uh, well, Probably no. not. <laughs> right. No, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, so, so my my thing about podcast is that um, 
you know, I think that they are speaking to a big hole in the overall media system, right? So you got you got cable news. Many people appreciate the problems with that. It's going to be partisan. It's going to be hit piece. It's going to be people jumping on there to try and make a point in yeah. three minutes with five Negative. other people on there, right? That's that's not a great way to get your news. You got Twitter and social media. The shortcoming with, with social media, broadly speaking, is that it's designed to get your attention. So if the whole purpose of a tweet and the more successful a tweet is, the better it is at getting attention. It's, it's designed around the attention economy. It's not designed around giving you quality news, <laughs> insight, understanding, helpful right. information, right? And it's so short form. So things like that to me are negative for society and for your overall understanding of what's happening in the world and, and perspective and how should I view things. Whereas podcasts give this long form for people to talk, explain themselves, take multiple sides of a position, work through concepts, tell jokes. It, 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 it's solving for a major problem, I think, in the, what media has become. Hmm. It's a great perspective. And, and I would tend to agree with that too, because even... I typically have gotten my news from Twitter, I would say, for the past, I don't know, seven years, seven, eight years. Uh, that's where I go to get news. I don't go to like any, you know, pages or sites on the web. I just go to Twitter and that's where there's going to be links to just about everything. But it is, Twitter's just continues to become kind of dirtier, right? People get in the mud and it's very, you know, it's very partisan. It's tough to get that information. So you're right. This is kind of a free flowing, uh, you know, way to to speak where you know, we're, we're uninterrupted and, and sort of just tell it how it is. But uh, that's a that's a neat perspective. And I think there's so much there's already so much variety. You can get so specific. And, you know, my daughters all listen to murder mystery uh, podcasts and things like that. But you and you can you, you find the three or four you want to listen to. And some of them are news and some of them are, you know, personalities like we're doing here. So it, it's uh, it's it's an interesting variety. I'm curious though, if podcasts, you know, they get dated. So if you're trying to get news and things from there, they're, they're going to be dated, but I'm curious about clubhouse, you know, I've signed up for it and you know, I'm wondering if these live conversations, I don't know how, how they're being received, but I get invited all the time. Our friend Chuck Yates has done quite a bit of them, but I'm just curious, have, have, have you participated in anything like that, Thomas? I've not, I've not done it. I've not even uh, listened to them yet, but I know they get a bunch of coverage. So uh, I'm going to check it out. I, you know, I, that particular app, I'm, what I'm nervous about is it's like all Facebook ever does is steal people's stuff. So I, I assume <laughs> we're going to go ahead and steal that next. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know if that one will be the one that sticks around, but, but the overall concept of people speaking freely uh, and having a time to make their point and and focusing in on subjects that they're that they're interested in, I, I I think it's great, and I think that's probably the direction the world is heading. It's kind of like a podcast that's not recorded, and with yeah. multiple people being on it, I guess. Yeah, that's a good yeah because you can't record it. That's a good that's a good way to put it. I'm not a huge clubhouse guy. I don't know. I'm also not a huge podcast guy. I actually have to catch up on ours. Last one I listened to was Whitney. So I think we've got a, we've got a few to go. No offense to Luke and Steven Toops. You guys are great guys. I'll get to it this weekend. I promise. Um, but no, I, you know, I, I really, one thing I had to ask, of course, because you moved to new England in 2014 and you got thrown 
right into the belly of the beast with Deflategate. Oh, Deflategate. Yes. Okay. All right. I got to get into this. So, <laughs> okay. So I'll premise this with, I am not a huge sports guy. All right. And which is very difficult in New England because they don't, they don't understand that. Yeah. They don't understand that. Right. So when, like, if you go to people's um, homes and you know, there's like the little, the mantle there with like, here's my daughter at her wedding and here's a baby. And then here's just Tom Brady. It's, <laughs> it's true. It's just a it's picture of Tom Brady. Okay. Well, and you're like, so right Wait. over Jeremy's shoulder is the yes, picture. Of exactly. Tom Brady. Exactly. It's multiple, so, multiple frame pictures. Of multiple Tom Brady. frame pictures. And, and you pick up very quickly that this is like, and this is before he moved away. Right. But this is like the deepest, deepest love that a human can have for another human being. It's like a family level love. And Tom so Brady, if you want to have Tom any friends, if you want to fit in, you got to kind of like, oh, Tom Brady's great. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you got problems. Exactly. Exactly. So what's your problem? What's your problem, Tom? It, but here's the here's what made it pretty easy. Tom Brady is super, uh, you know, successful and he wins and he annoyingly handsome. So you're like, all right, fine. I guess he's all right. But that, that, that whole experience though, I mean, so you got to see like the vitriol, the anger that people had toward the NFL. And, and ultimately it was just like, it just comes down to law where they decided, um, well, the commissioner can spend any, uh, suspend anyone for anything. So he's going to give him four games for disturbing the peace effectively in his mind. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that, that affected my, so my father-in-law, he manages a grocery store up here and his annual sales vary heavily based on how successful the Patriots are for the year. He's had a good so, 20 years then. They, he did. He did. If they go all the way to the Super Bowl, that is chips, guacamole, hot dogs, burgers, every single weekend, sell, 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 sell. It's like, it, it's like, it hits his bottom line. He's like, the Patriots have to do well for me oh, to have a good year. I would just think grocery stores are based on population. It's amazing that, that makes it does that big seem a difference. To be, there does seem to be something to that. So what if you yeah. want ramen, if the Patriots are losing, you start eating ramen or I something? Just, or? I just, yeah, you just, you just start over ice cream You don't have any cookouts. You don't have your friends over. You're not happy. You're, just, you you're just depressed staying in mom's basement, basically. Exactly. So let's, you know, I, I'm looking at your uh, LinkedIn uh, feed here, Thomas, and I, I see that, you know, hey, February of 2021, what, uh, just, uh, not too long ago, six hours ago says, uh, you know, founder new law firm here. What's, uh, I mean, what's going on? What's happening? Yeah. There? So, so I was with the same firm for uh, about 12 years. Uh, and it was a very good run. I made partner there. Um, very great people. I really enjoyed working there. Uh, you know, over the last year, the oil business really took a major hit as we all know. And <laughs> yeah, um, speaking to the choir. Exactly. Right. And so one thing that I determined is that, and, and I, this is stolen straight from Chuck Yates, but I, I do believe it's true, is that in order to stay around and be successful in this business, you can't apply an old model. You have to, you have to generate a new business model and, and run with that. So it's not going to be like it was in 2017 where people are throwing money at you and it's deal after deal after deal. And you have work up to, you know, to your eyeballs and you, you have to change what you're doing. And something that I noticed is after, um, after April of 2020, after all the layoffs, 
for that period of time on the on the budget side, the oil business basically just said, no, we're done. We're not spending any more money, not spending right. on legal. We're just we're shutting it down. And that, you know, that affects everybody. It certainly affects, uh, you know, our side of the business. And then as it started coming out, which I, I you know, after that trip that I took, those road trips, I, I kind of had like a, uh, it was a little bit of a Jerry Maguire situation, right? Like, <laughs> few clients, better service, right? And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I want to stay in this business. I like being a lawyer but I want to do it in a way that makes sense to me based on the inputs that I've received and, and the vision that I have. So I got two other people, my, uh, my partners, Ryan Ray and Casey Hartle. We had the same vision. Um, we started in February of 2021, uh, you know, and, and we're applying our vision to running a law firm that services oil and gas clients after everything failed and solving the problems they have from that point forward. And a big part of it, honestly, is just... You know, pretty much anyone who starts a business, they have a creative itch and they want to do things their way. And instead of, you know, being hired and having a job and being told what to do, they want to lead. So those things kind of all culminated where I wanted to lead. I wanted to have creative input and I wanted to solve problems for the next 10 years that are happening in the oil and gas business. And so that's what we did. So we were up and running. Tremendous. Um, we've had great success. and. Uh, uh, it's it's been very very well received by lots of people I worked with for for many many years and uh, we're we're loving it. What so how do people find your your law firm uh, your company and, and uh, what, you what know, do you guys I, focus on? Uh, so our law our website uh, www.rfhfirm.com and you can okay. find me on LinkedIn and uh, you can That's just easy. Google me. Uh, I, nobody has that same name, so you'll find me on the internet real quick. And uh, yeah, so that's how you track us down. And and I, I've been doing this. I've been in this business for a long time and it's really, I have a joke. There's only 500 people in the oil business. So, you know, I just had to get in front of those same 500 people the last three months and tell them what I'm up to. And they're like, Oh, great. Cool. Give me your card. Let's, let's catch up soon. So that's what, that's doing. what Jeremy doing now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning. There's more than 500 though. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you start expanding your scope, as you know, Tim, with your company, a lot of your sales are international and you're exposed to this world of well, like we talked about tenders and, and the agents and, you know, negotiating with third parties and all that interesting stuff that is a little bit different here. Yeah. I can tell you the other thing, uh, Thomas, you mentioned being told January 5th, this thing, this thing's going to be real with COVID. It was our Asian clients that were telling us, no, you can't come visit us. That's when we kind of said, wait a minute. And uh, so we started making plans and we look like profits, but you know, four weeks after we canceled our user meeting, uh, then the whole, everything shut down, but we looked like we knew what we were doing when it was just the fact that we couldn't get our Asian clients to come over. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to get that kind of six to eight week lead on something that's happening in the world and then to try to evaluate it and believe it and, and, you know, make major decisions from it. Yeah. Because of SARS and SARS two or whatever it was, they, they were well ahead as far as knowing to shut down and do these things. We just, didn't expect it to hit us. Yeah. 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 
Well, Thomas, thank you so much, man. This was fantastic. Brought a lot of energy to this podcast. We like that. And I think you're you're moving back to Houston this summer. Is that a that a you, final decision? Back. Yeah, yeah. So I after all this travel and all this life on the road, uh, I decided uh, starting this new law firm, I have to be all hands on deck uh, every single day. So I got I sold my house. It's you know, the closings uh, in June and I will be in Houston uh, first week of July. Full time, uh, you know, sweating. Uh, I can have to increase my <laughs> increase my tolerance for always having sweaty clothes because yep, that's a Houston yep. thing is to constantly be sweating. So yep. I'll be back down in the swamp. There you go. Well, hey, uh, Chuck Yates might have a room to rent. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to get less people in there, not more. After we destroyed it at the uh, crawfish boil. Anyways, Thomas, thanks again, man. All right, sounds good. We'll see you. Great. 